All right, let's praise him. Thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to glorify your holy name tonight. Thank you, Father, for giving us the chance to praise you, the privilege to be able to lift you up, the privilege to be able to walk into the throne room of the King and worship at your feet, Father. Oh, this soul once torn and beaten left without reason to move on within you reach down and brought up from the valley of tribals you the God that saves you're the one that rescues me you rescue me God that saves and you call me from the grave you rescue me ransom out of the wreckage pulled from the ashes of tribals hope is flowing through these veins life born from grace oh in grace alone you are the god that saves you're the one that rescues me you rescue me you are the god that saves you call me from the grave you me and I hear the song I hear the song of victory ring over me and I hear the song I hear the song ring over me the victory oh I hear the song I hear the song of victory ring over me. And I hear the song. I hear the song of victory ring over me. And I hear the song. I hear the song of victory ring over me. And I hear the song. I hear the song of victory ring over me. You're the one that rescues me. You rescue me. You are the God that saves, and you call me from the grave. Oh, you rescue me. You are the God that saves. And you call me from the grave, you rescue me. Thank you, Lord. You are the God that saves, and you call me from the grave, you rescue me. Yeah. Thank you, Father, for rescuing us 
from the grave, Father, rescuing us from our sins, rescuing us, Lord, by paying the price we couldn't pay. Thank you, Father, for not leaving us the way we were, but, God, that you loved us so much that you made a plan to restore us, to redeem us, to put us back in the fold that we're supposed to be in, Father. Bring us back to your family. Oh, you spoke those words, let there be light, and there was, oh, and in that same breath, the stars fell in line with one voice, creation cries, you do all things well. You do all things well. Be praised. Be praised. Oh, be praised. Be praised forever and always. Or lost in the dark, under the dirt, I was buried, left to die. And I heard your voice calling my name, from one tomb I came alive. You do all things well. You do all things well. Oh, be praised. Be forever and always be praised be praised father be praised oh be praised forever and always cause when I think of all you've done and all the battles brought me over hallelujah and all the storms i saw you come in my defense my only song is hallelujah and how he never let me fall now unto him who is able Hallelujah, oh, and let there never be a day that I don't rise to bring you praise, hallelujah, oh, hallelujah, be praised, be praised, be praised, be praised. And always, Father, we give you praise this, this afternoon, God. We give you praise for you're worthy of it forever and always. Forever and always, no matter what we're going through, you deserve the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. So right now, right where we're at, Father, we welcome your presence in this place. 
and we praise your holy name. We praise your holy name. So be praised, be praised, be praised, be praised, oh be praised, Father be praised, oh be praised, be praised. In every action that we do, Father, in the way we work, the way we talk, God, what we do every day, Lord, let it praise you. Let it lift you up, Father. Not just when we're here on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning, but, Father, God, every moment of every day, let every action that we do praise you, be lifting you up, be a reflection of who you are. Oh, so lord be praised oh be praised be praised be praised forever and always forever and always father forever and always So when you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring. When you walk into the room, every heart starts to burning. And nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet. And worship you. And worship you, my Lord. So what we do, we want to do, Lord, we want to worship you. Now we want to sit at your feet and praise you. We want to sit at your feet and glorify your holy name. We worship you. Because when you walk into the room, Everything changes The darkness starts to tremble At the light that you bring And when you walk into the room Every heart starts burning And nothing matters more than just To sit here at your feet And worship you Worship you, oh yeah. Cause we love you, and we'll never stop. Can't live without you, Jesus. We love you, oh we can't get enough. Oh. This is for you. It's all for you, my Lord. When you walk into the room, 
Sickness starts to vanish Every hopeless situation It ceases to exist Cause when you walk into the room All the dead began to rise Cause there is resurrection life And all you do Oh, cause we love you Oh, and we'll never stop We can't live without you Jesus, we love you Oh, we can't get enough And all this is for you Jesus, cause we love you Oh, and we'll never stop we can't live without you, Jesus, and we love you. Oh, we can't get enough, and all this is for you, Jesus. Oh, yes, oh, Jesus, we love you, Lord. Come and consume God, all we are We give you permission, our hearts are yours We want you We'll come and consume God, all we are We give you permission, our hearts are yours We want you Oh, come and consume God, all we are Give you permission, the heart yours. We want you, Lord. We want you. Oh, come and consume God. Oh, we all give you permission. Our hearts are yours. We want you, Lord. We want you. Cause we love you. Oh, we'll never stop. We can't live without you, Jesus, and we love you. Oh, we can't get enough, and all this is for you, Jesus, we love you. And we'll never stop, we can't live without you. Jesus, we love you. We can't get enough. All this is for you. Oh, we'll never stop loving you, Lord. Cause I love you and I never stop I can't live without you Jesus and I love you Lord I can't get enough all this is for you cause we love you 
And we'll never stop We can't live without you Jesus We love you We ain't getting enough All this is for All this is for you. Is it all for him? We sing the words says, All this is for you. All this is for you. Is it really for him or is it for you? Do you worship him? Because you want to bless his holy name. Or do you worship him so you can experience a feeling? Do you worship him because he is God? Or do you worship him to receive something from him? Yeah. Father, forgive us when we come with our agendas. When our worship is anything less than just glorifying you. Forgive us, Father. Oh, forgive us, Father. You alone deserve our worship. You alone deserve our praise. You alone, Father. If we come to get something out of it, it's not worship. It's not praise. It's tainted. It's a stench in your nostrils. So forgive us, Father. When we get disappointed because we didn't feel any goosebumps when we was worshiping you. It's all about you. Oh, this is all for you. It's all for you. We can't live without you, Jesus. We love you. We can't get enough. All this is for Jesus. Jesus. of worship I will pour at your feet King of glory who compares to you you are worthy of my offering 
every ounce of worship I will pour at your feet. You alone deserve my worship. You alone deserve my praise. You alone deserve my worship. You alone deserve my praise. You alone deserve my worship. Oh, you alone deserve my praise you alone deserve my worship you alone deserve my praise so king of glory who compares to you you are worthy of my offering and every ounce of worship I will pour at your feet you alone deserve my worship you alone deserve my praise You alone deserve my praise Cause you alone deserve my worship You alone deserve my praise You alone deserve my worship It all belongs to you. 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 Oh, it all belongs to you. Oh, it all belongs to you. Jesus, it all belongs to you. It all belongs to you, oh, it all belongs to you, it all belongs to you, it all belongs to you, it all belongs to you. My worship, you alone deserve my praise. You alone deserve my worship. You alone deserve my praise. You alone deserve my worship. Father, 
for it all I've been bought with a price I am your bond servant father Ooh, it all belongs to you thank you Lord it all belongs to you it all belongs to you all belongs to you It all belongs. 
belongs to you. It all belongs to you. It all belongs to you. Heavenly Father, we just bless you tonight. We lift our hands and we praise you. We bless you. There is none like you in all of the heavens and all of the earth. All of the stars of the galaxy combined cannot compare to your glory. And so we worship you tonight and we praise you because it all belongs to you. There is nothing else that can even whisper anything as sweet as your name that would cause us to cry out and worship other than you. And so, Father, we just praise you tonight. We bless you tonight. We pray right now for the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives, for him to speak through the body of Christ. We pray for our children and tweens and teens, that, God, you would just minister to them tonight. In, in, in a special and unique way. Father, let there be spiritual encounters in this place tonight. We pray for the Word of God that it would set at liberty the captives. That God, your purpose and plan would be brought forth in our midst. In the name of Jesus, we pray tonight. Amen and amen. Why don't you just take a moment or two and just turn and greet somebody you've not said hello to or not had a chance to say hello to. Does anybody have a quick testimony or praise report or something that, you know, you were reading in the Word and it just kind of went, woof, gotcha, you know? You've never had that happen, James? <laughs> yeah, anyone? You want to share? Anybody? That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> He says that because he knows me. <laughs> I just have a short one that uh, in mine and my boys' uh, schooling Bible classes uh, where we just came out of Second Kings and it just like whenever you have a you have all these evil kings but amongst all the evil kings you have a uh, an obedient king here and there and uh Sorry. Um, whenever God uh, blesses the good kings, he always he goes back to because of my servant David. 
You know, it's like it's like he constantly remembers his servant David. You know, like he always honors the 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 faithful kings because of his servant David. And it's like centuries after David's death, it just it's just something that you know uh, I just found amazing. Amen. That's good. That's good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Amen. You got one, James? I have a praise report for the Lord. Uh, I've had arthritis in my knees for years and had this one replaced when I was up north. And I got a shot four weeks ago on this thing. I, was, I had it in this knee. It was fine. This one, it reacted. That's why you saw me a few weeks ago with the walker and everything. And I'm just thankful that the Lord's taking care of that reaction, and I'm able to walk and stand on it now. He is doing more than 100% healing, just like he did with my wife a few years ago on her uh, stroke. He is faithful. Even when we're not faithful, he's still faithful to us. Let me just take a moment to say thank you for those of you that were here Sunday that helped uh, in giving in an offering for uh, Bob and Lisa Holloway. We were able to get, bless them with a, a good offering. And um, uh, the one thing that they, well, they said a number of things. We took them out to eat afterwards and, and got to share, uh, spend a, couple, a few hours together. And um, But he, they said, um, they said, boy, he said, um, your church is different. And I said, okay, what does that mean? You know, you never know what that means, right? And they said, uh, the people stayed behind, and they were all talking to each other and talking to us and everything. I said, yeah. I said, they're always doing that, you know. They said, they said, and, and they said, um, they said, we can't tell you how many churches we go to. And as soon as it's done, they walk right past us and out the door. And before you can even take a deep breath, the whole place is empty. And I said, really? You know, because I mean, I don't know, because I'm in my, I'm here most Sundays, you know. They said, they, they said, you may, you're lucky if a person or two picks up a prayer card or whatever, but they'll just pick it up and then just walk straight out and never say anything he said, man, you people picked up our cards, and they came and talked to us and told us how much they enjoyed it and asked questions and everything. I said, that is very unique. And I said, cool, because, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know, you know. And so, um, anyway, I just want to thank you for that. Uh, it, that's a real testament to you. And, um, and, and they, it really made, it really blessed them. It really did bless them, and so I just give you a prayer request on their on their behalf. Um, uh, I don't think he mentioned he might have mentioned it during the service, but um, they they now they are leaving March seventeenth, and they have to sell their truck and their fifth wheeler that they're living in. They have to sell it before they can leave. By the time they leave. And so they're just, they're praying someone will buy the whole package. That's what happened last time when they left. 
uh, somebody bought the truck with the fifth wheeler, and he had he told us that he has completely almost re gutted the inside of this fifth wheeler, redid it to make it like a beautiful home on the inside. And he said, I'm just praying I can just get at least the money that I've got into it back out of it. And uh, But he said they do need to sell it. So um, he, was, he was tired, very tired Sunday, if you didn't know that. He had just flown in from Boston to Dallas, picked up his wife, drove down Saturday, spoke at the, the lit uh, boot camp, and then spoke here Sunday, and they were headed back to Monroe Sunday evening. And so... Um, they were tired, but they enjoyed the time. But I just thought I'd put, give you something to pray about. Let God bring a buyer along that will buy the truck and their fifth wheeler so that they, when they leave the country, they have that cash in their pocket or in their account. And uh, that's not something that's left behind for someone else to have to take care of. You know, so anyway, the reason they had driven from Boston is they had a van uh, and the district of uh, southern New England bought their van uh, to use for one of their churches up there. And so that was a blessing to them. And the, and the southern New England district, which is Connecticut, Rhode Island, and the bottom half of Massachusetts together, because the t states are so small, um, they have adopted them as a missions project. And so that's that's a big help to them also. So when they leave on the 17th, they have a number of pastors and uh, state leaders who are going back with them to Peru and to see firsthand themselves. So that's a that's a door that God's open. And I asked them uh, if you were here, you heard about the building that they they got for the school, the former strip club, you know. And they said they had two years. The, um, the guy's wanting to sell it. And so I asked him, I said, what's the urgency on that? You know, because I'm thinking they got to come up with 400000 like right now. What's the deal? He said, no, we have a two-year lease, and we got a year and a half left on the lease. So he can't do anything. And I said, good. I said, so he said, so there's no pressure right now. We have to have it. So I said, then we could start praying, you know, that God will bring that money in by the time it's necessary to do that. And so anyway, I just thought I'd share those things with you and give you something to pray about. Amen. <clears throat> we started a series uh, a few weeks ago on Wednesday night called Walking in God's Promises. And, and, and I stated that uh, my focus in this was to um, know how to deal biblically with problems that commonly arise in our lives, okay? And the goal was to see practical ways to handle those issues. And when I say practical and handling, in other words, identifying them and then locating and claiming specific promises from God's word which are appropriate for each of those things. So we've we've done a couple of those already in certain areas. Uh, the last one we talked about sin um, and and so but tonight there was really so much here. I have to tell you I had I had it I thought I had it all down and together uh, or like I've been working on this for several weeks. And then this morning in prayer, um, the Lord gave me a word about something, and that has con 
kind of shifted a little bit. So I'm going to take this and split it into two parts so it won't be so long, okay? And uh, because I think there's two distinct things here. I felt in prayer that there was something specific the Holy Spirit wanted to do tonight. And so um, tonight's deal is, is tonight's focus and next week's focus will be on mental peace. You can say emotional peace, mental peace, peace, whatever you want to call it. But I want to address one of the most common afflictions of our time. And that is the problem of mental torment. And how can we enjoy true peace of mind? Okay? So I'm not going to get through all of it, but I'm, I'm going to get to a certain point where I think we could take a break and then come back next week, recap it, and then finish it, finish it all out. I really hate doing it that way because I like, tell me the problem, tell me, and then give me the solution. And then, but there's really almost two parts to this. So anyway, for, uh, from, from the beginning, we need to understand in our culture today, our society, whatever you want to call it, we... We are exposed, every one of us, um, we are exposed to many kinds of pressures. Um, and they seem to be constantly building more and more and more and more. I remember as a child, being first, second grade, being told in the, in the future we're going to have computers and they're going to make our life easier. And I don't know if you, anybody, anybody remember the entrance of the old cartoon, The Jetsons. You remember, there's George Jetson, da 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 da, da you know, and that he's going down the little thing, you know, it's like he's going along, you know, and he pops in his little spaceship car and flies to work, you know, puts his feet up on the counter, you know, I mean, everything was going to be easy. And, um, and I remember thinking, I cannot wait for those days. And, um, you know, I remember hearing, you know, you'll no longer have paper. You know, we won't have any need for paper. Everything will be electronic and digital. and everything. None of that has happened because if anything, instead of our feet up, we need 48 hours a day and we'd still just get further behind. Everything digital has to be printed out and still signed. I mean, it's, it, it's crazy, you know. And um, so... Uh, but the pressures are constantly there. And so I just want to address a few of them tonight and a few examples and then uh, say something about it and bring it to a close. So let's just look at a few of them. One of peer pressure, peer pressure, the pressure to conform and be like the rest of everybody else or the group. You know, we all want to belong to the group. You know, we all, I remember when I moved near the end of my seventh grade year, from Massachusetts to Calif Southern California. Can I tell you that was a culture shock? Because I had no clue what that was like. I had been raised uh, a good bit of my, uh, all my relatives were from Massachusetts, Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire, that kind of thing. But California was a whole different ballgame altogether. And I wanted to fit in. And then I remember fitting in and, and um, getting it acclimated to California lifestyle for over five years. 
And then the summer of my junior year in high school, we went from Southern California, you know, surfing USA, everything's cool, you know, all that kind of stuff, to Montgomery, Alabama. Or as I was told, it was Alabama, you know. And um, it was, you talk about culture shock. I, I was unfamiliar with the civil um, issues at the time, you know. The, I mean, I wasn't stupid, but I was not aware of race riots and all that, you know. George Wallace was the governor at the time, you know. And I remember the first day going to school and coming home. Now, by then, I had become a Christian in Spiritfield. I came home crying and told my mother the devil had drug us to California and this was the devil's territory and that we needed to get in the car and drive back to California because God was out in California. That's how bad it was. And um, because I was not, I, I felt lost. I was not a part of the group, you know, the culture and everything else. And so peer pressure is not just um, uh, an age group or a social group or anything like that. It's, it's just wanting to feel like you belong, you know. Uh, children at school feel pressured to do what other kids are doing. My mom always knew when I was hanging out with a new kid that was not good. Because instantly I began mim mimicking what I was seeing from this kid, this cool kid that everybody was gravitating to, she goes, who you been hanging out with? Who, you know, she knew. And that drove me crazy that she could know that. You know, she goes, you better get away from him and you better stop it right now. Um, uh, another type of peer pressure is, uh, to use an old adage, is keeping up with the Joneses. You know, if they got a new car, we need a new car. If they got a new house, we need a new house. If they got a swimming pool, we need a swimming pool. You know, you know, if they got a new, if they got a raise, somehow we got to get a raise or get a new job or whatever. Uh, to be like others, to be, to keep up with others. Uh, usually, in, and and usually that me mentality is um, contrary to our true personality or our true inner nature. We, we, it's not who we are, but we're trying to be that way because we want to be like them and be accepted in that way. Another type of pressure that's becoming, it's been there and is just getting more and more and more real is financial pressure. With inflation uh, um, on the rise as it is, interest rates and everything else, uh, I read an article yesterday that um, Americans are having to spend $1,000 more a month on just the basics. 1000 a month. And when you're in the middle to lower middle class, lower class, that's like huge, huge amounts. That's, we're talking about, you know, between food, electricity, rent, that kind of stuff. 1000 a month more than this time last year. And uh, that, so it's putting a, a lot of um, financial pressure on people. Um, of course, it doesn't help that we're constantly bombarded with commercials from every which way about material things, you know, and that we should want this and we should want this and we should want this. Um, and then you actually have those who are getting along in life, so to speak, and they're feeling financial pressure suddenly 
to make sure that they're going to have enough money to provide for their security and their older ages. You know, so in the young, younger years, we want to be like everybody else and have all the cool stuff, and we're not, we're, we're not thinking about that. But now all of a sudden, somewhere, we're thinking, we're not going to have enough, you know, and um, uh, there, there seems to be a continual pressure to just have more money. In other words, it doesn't matter how much money people make, there's always the desire to make more. Um, uh, another one is the pressure to survive. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but I would put in that um, battles for life and health. Um, each of us constantly fight against disease and illness. So, you know, we face it. We're human, that kind of thing. Um, some have been diagnosed uh, with a condition that, you know, they say is minor, others maybe not so minor, that kind of thing. And, and or maybe the doctor calls you in and gives you a, a bad diagnosis and, and, says, and, and says if this doesn't happen or this doesn't happen, then the prognosis, remember I mentioned that, is, is this. And it almost puts like a death sentence on us. So that pressure is kind of there. And that's one of, honestly, one of the heaviest forms of pressure a person can face. And, um, and in those cases, there is often an inner voice. Let's see if I can put it right how, in my mind. An inner voice that keeps up a steady stream of threatening, accusing, and tormenting thoughts. Um, I'll be perfectly transparent and honest with you. I know we, we all do this, but the, the voice is there. You know, you never, it's ne it never goes away. You never you block it out, but we're aware of it, or maybe we're not aware of it. But, you know, um, I'll, walk, I'll walk into a room to get something, and then I get in there, and I go, why did I come in here? Right? Tell me I'm not the only one who's done that. Thank you. But the voice says, uh-oh, dementia, Alzheimer's, right? And then we know as we get older, a lot of times it becomes a little more frequent. And so that voice is there. And I'm just telling you, it's there. This afternoon, I walked out into my laundry room, and I got out there, and I stood there and said, I know I'm here for something. I don't know what I'm here for, but let me rearrange this shelf while I'm standing here. And it did not come to me, so I walked back into the kitchen, and I saw the empty paper towel holder on the counter. I said, paper towels, that's what I went out there for. And I walk out there, and that voice says, you're losing it. And I have, I'm being honest. And I go, you're a liar. Because it, it, is, it is subtle like that. You feel a twinge in your back, or your, or your knee, or this or that, and... And you go, I've never had that before. And somebody goes, oh, you know, my aunt had that. It was cancer. Yeah. There's that voice. Yeah. 
I'm just being very real. These are, these are things that, that we all face. And, and, and I want to make the statement that where there is a voice, there is a person behind the voice. <laughs> now, it's either you thinking wrong thoughts or you listening to wrong voices. In other words, wrong people, hanging out with wrong people. Or there's the enemy. Especially if you're a Christian. And when there's a voice, there's a person behind the voice. There's, it doesn't just come out of thin air. okay? And if the voice that we're hearing accuses or torments, then it is absolutely from darkness. It is, it is the voice of Satan and his cohorts, if I can put it in mind that way. And bear in mind that the Bible tells us that the devil is called the accuser. He, he accuses. He makes up lies. He is the, Jesus said he's the father of lies. He's the father of liars. I mean, he, it, it's, you can't get any more absolute than that. And when you have an accusing voice in your mind, you can be sure that the devil is behind it. Okay? And I think that we've become accustomed to that voice and not as tuned in or focused in on what it's saying and where it's coming from. And, and it's almost like... This, maybe this is a bad analogy. I just thought of it, so maybe. <laughs> Have you ever had a pebble in your shoe that's not big enough to drive, you know, like, it's just there that every once in a while, like every third or fourth step, you feel that little thing, and you're like, come on, I don't want to take my shoe off, you know, you want to, you know, you kind of, Somebody tell me I'm not the only one who's done that. Thank you. <laughs> I hate being so transparent like this because you look at me like, stupid, take your shoe off. You know? And you think, if I can just get to the home, you know, get to the car and get home, then I can take my shoe off and whatever, you know? But eventually it's something happens and you go, oh, I can't take that anymore. But what I'm saying is we become... We'll, we'll give it room, we'll give it a place, you know, to, we'll put up with it, and then we're irritated by it, but not irritated enough to do anything about it. And so that voice that's there, we, we can hear it, it's kind of like yammering in the background. You know, when I was younger, I liked noise when I was studying. I don't want to hear noise. I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to hear music playing. I don't want to hear nothing. I'm like, just leave it quiet, you know? You know but before I'd have the stereo turned up, you know, stereo, listen to me, I'm dating myself, you know? But I'd have it full blue, you know, and my parent, my mom would come in and say, what are you doing? I'm studying. Nobody can study with that noise. I need it to drown out the rest of the noise, you know? Um, uh, I'm just saying those voices are constantly there. And if we allow it, like that pebble, we allow it to stay 
then, then after a while, we just say, well, I can get through the whole day without doing anything about it, you know. And, and the enemy begins to just, it's like, it's just like I'm picking at you. Pick, just, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Okay. And um, so the enemy um, brings many forms of accusations. And look, we could go around this room and we could make a list a mile long. I'm just going to give you just a few, okay? You add all the ones you want to add, okay? Um, but uh, one common accusation, I'm just going to hit a couple common accusations. God doesn't love you. Believing that accusation results in the feeling of rejection and loneliness. And that's what he wants. Because you say, God doesn't love me. And then you see God bless somebody over here. And, that, and he whispers, see, if, if he loves them more than he loves you. So he doesn't love you. And so all of a sudden, now, you've, now you're dealing with the spirit of rejection. And because you've been rejected, what do we do? We pull away. And now we're isolated and alone. And now, and now we feel even more rejected. because we're. And so we keep pulling away and we keep pulling away and we keep pulling away until we're outside the, the safety of the body, and then the wolf comes along, and he takes you out. And you begin to feel like God seems to have a plan for everybody else's life but you. Another common accusation, you'll always be a failure. You'll never amount to anything. Why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? Why can't you be like the neighbor's kid? Why can't you be like so-and-so? Why can't you be like this person? Why can't you be like, why can't you? The comparison game and, 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 and you see yourself, those words form you, create you like a potter creates the clay and, and you keep hearing it and it's echoed, usually, and it's echoed not by strangers. Strangers couldn't care less about you. <laughs> you know, I, had, I told a person that one time, they said, everybody's talking about me. I said, I, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but you're not as popular as you think you are. No, there's very few people talking about you, you know, and, um, but their message is clear and it's constant. You have failed so many times that there just isn't any other option for you in life but failure. And I think kids hear this a lot. And so they have such a low self-esteem um, and, and, um, they need to hear that they were created with a, a, 
a God-designed DNA, God-designed purpose. God, they need to hear that from because the world's telling them they never can measure up. They'll never be like everybody else out there. It's the reason we have such idol worship of celebrities and athletes and everything else because the kids think I'll, I, I might as well pick my favorite person because I'll never be anything like that, you know? Another common form of accusation or attack is physical pain or, and or symptoms of disease. A, a person may be tormented by the thoughts that a certain pain is caused by um, some undiagnosed critical sickness or whatever, even though maybe there's no disease present at all. And... Um, and and uh, or they're 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 frightened that this new pain or whatever, and it begins to nag at them, you know. And somebody goes, "Well, why don't you go see a doctor?" No, 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 no. I'm not. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's bad. But there's that voice. There's that voice. Um, there's an interesting thing in the book of Job. Job is not a book that very many people study because it's kind of depressing, really. I, I took a class on Job by um, a, a, a Jewish rabbi. Um, he was not an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. And he all t and there was myself and two other Christian ministers in the class. And it was at uh, University of Louisiana, Monroe. And he found out we were ministers. He said, why are you all here? I said, well, so we just like to get your point of view. And he said... Um, uh, Job, Job's just a, an analogy. It's just a story. It's not a real thing. He, and um, he said, in fact, just read the first like two, two or three chapters and the last two chapters and skip everything else in the middle. That's what he said. And uh, so we, we, I started to leave, and I thought, well, you know. I said, well, no, I'm going to hear this guy out. We sat, so we sat through every chapter of the book of Job with this guy. And, um, but there are some truths that are buried in the book of Job for us. And um, if there was ever a character in the Bible who underwent the kind of mental torment that I'm talking about, it was Job. I mean, really. So in Job chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, I just titled this section called, What I Feared. What I feared. This is, this is what I felt the Holy Spirit say. Focus in on this part tonight. Save the rest for later. In Job chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, look what Job says. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Now listen, that is a powerful statement. In other words, he's saying that his mind had already been wrestling with these things. Because he said, the thing that I feared has come upon me. The things that I've been wrestling with has happened. No peace, no quietness, no rest, no rest. 
nothing but turmoil. And turmoil is just a fancy word for trouble, problems, whatever. And so what Job said is true of thousands of people all around us today. What I feared has come upon me. And fear can open the door to the very condition that you're dreading. Fear is a tool of the enemy. It is a tool of the enemy. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be fear concerning your health. It could be fear concerning your finances. It could be fear concerning your children. Fear concerning your marriage. Fear concerning your business. Fear concerning the whole world. You know, I mean, it, it just it, fear is a doorway. And when you walk through that doorway, there's unnumbered things that are on the other side of that door waiting. And the devil uses fear as a lever to, to, to bring additional difficulties upon us. Let me go back to that scripture again. What I feared has come upon me. Now, we don't know what it was necessarily that he was fearing, but there were a number of bad things that were happening. Remember, uh, um, God speaks to Satan and says, have you seen my servant Job? And, and, you know, he's been faithful to me and righteous and everything. And, of course, Satan says, well, that's only because you put a hedge around him and nobody can get to him, but give me a chance to get to him, and he'll curse you. And God says, you can do anything you want, but you can't kill him. I always wonder why God let him go that far. I'm like, you, you, can, you can go, you can go pretty close, you know, pretty far, but, you know, I draw a line, you know, somewhere. But God said you can do anything but kill him. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You wish you were dead. No, can't die. <laughs> you wish you will, but, you know, I mean, I mean, when you read it, I mean, he, he loses his property. He loses his children. He, he's covered with boils to where the Bible says he's literally scraping it off. Every part of his body with boils. And his wife comes out and says, just curse God and die. Yeah, love you too, baby. <laughs> Don't expect an anniversary gift this this year, you know, right? I mean, and and so he says, what I have feared has come and what I dreaded has happened to me. And the result of that is now I have no peace, I have no quietness, I have no rest, and I only have turmoil. And that's why I said the devil uses it as a lever or a lever to, to bring additional difficulties, fear. So, I, you know, the Holy Spirit just kind of was speaking to me this morning. He says, is, is this where you're at? Is this what you're worried about? Is this, you know, is, is, is this? And, and, and I have to be honest, there's just some things that I've been praying to God about saying, I don't know how this is going to work out. 
<laughs> and I'm, I'm like, God, what else can come? What else can you add to this? And, 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 but here's the thing. This may be where you are, but I'm telling you there's a remedy. God has a remedy, okay? And it, it comes as we recognize the door Satan is using to get into our lives. You know, the Bible says, give no foothold to the enemy. When I was a kid, they used to have door-to-door -door salespeople. Some of you remember that. I remember Fuller Brush people coming to the door. I remember um, the Stanley Mint, yeah. Or I, I remember the, the vacuum cleaner salesperson. I think it was Hoover back then, you know, the big old monster Hoover things, you know. Oh, I remember those, but that was later, you know. You know, but they used to have salespeople who would come to the door selling all kinds of stuff. I mean, you name it, they were selling it, you know. In fact, I was telling somebody the other day, we used to have a milk and egg man who came once a week and brought milk and eggs. And they said, why? I said, because that's what they did in that day. They had, they had a truck, and the guy would come, and how many quarts of milk do you need? And uh, how many eggs? And maybe they had a few other things. Butter was another one, you know. And they thought, you're kidding. I said, no. I said, man, he used to come every week. And, um, you know, and he'd have a regular route and whatever. And, um, but, but the ones that you knew that you, you bought from regularly, that was fine. But it was the ones who were knocking on your door that you weren't interested in whatever they had. And every time you try and close the door, they'd stick their foot in the door. I remember one guy twice doing that to my mom. And I, and I looked at my mama. I was about 11 or 12. But I said, let me take that door. I'll take it next time. And she said, just get back. She says, sir. She's looking around the door. He says, but ma'am, if you'll just give me a moment. She said, Please remove your foot. And I thought, just give me one shot at that foot. I will get it out, and he will, he'll be hopping like the bunny rabbit, you know, from that point on. You know, because he had his, he literally stuck his foot in the door. I thought the audacity. I said, if I'm ever grown up and somebody sticks their foot in the door, they will lose them toes when I get done with them. But that's the picture that comes to mind when I read the scripture. It says, give no foothold to the devil. No place. It's a foothold. It's, it's letting him get his foot in the door to allow something else to come through, okay? So we have to recognize the door that Satan is using if we're going to be able to close it. Does that make sense? Okay. There are dozens of doors, but we're just going to look at two. I'll let you figure out the rest of them, okay? I'm just going to mention two that I think are the most common. And the first one is resentment and unforgiveness. 
Buddy, I'm telling you, have you ever watched those police shows where they, where they go, and the guy's got the thing, you know, the battering ram thing, you know, and they're like, open up, we know you're in there, you know, no answer. And they'll go ahead, breach it, boom, <laughs> and, and, and splinters go everywhere, you know, I mean, I mean, that, that, I thought, I would like to do that sometime, that'd be so cool, you know, Justin, they ought to do that like at men's retreat or something like that, <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> they ought to have something like that. And, um, but resentment and unforgiveness, it is common to feel, I want to say this up front, it is common to feel resentment and unforgiving towards someone. It's not hard. It's not uncommon. The difficulty is not allowing it to stay. Okay? And I mentioned just the other day that I had, you know, when I was in college and I was working for a restaurant chain and my manager, he was convinced that if you even just had a thought about a sin, that you, you'd committed that sin. I said, no, no, no. Thoughts come. That voice comes. It's what I do with that voice and that thought that makes it sin or not sin. And he argued with me. I said, you are one pitiful man. I was, I was like, just turned 18. I'm telling this guy, you are pitiful. And this, he's older than me, right? I mean, he could fire me right there on the spot. And, uh, well, he did a few weeks later, you know, but I, I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But uh, I said, that's pitiful. I said, because that means every time you had a thought, every time a little thought came, a temptation, what, and you're like, sin, 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 sin. I said, I would just say, Lord, put me out of my misery, take me home, because I can't live this way. I said, the thought in and of itself, and so that's why I say it is, it is common, or I should say maybe it's not uncommon to feel resentful and unforgiving towards someone, um, but it doesn't have to be the door that swings wide open and stays open. And usually, I'm going to say this, usually, in, in most cases that I, I can think of, it's a person that's close to us. I've used this analogy before. A stranger walks up to me and says, I hate the way you look. And I'm like, too bad for you. You know, I, I'm, I'm reminded it's not a, Great quote, but I'm reminded about an uh, historical quote that Winston Churchill made one time. He had been, he was a little bit inebriated, and a woman walked up to him, and here he was, the head of, you know, part England, and and you said, Mr. Churchill, you're drunk, and he said, Yeah, and you're ugly, and she said, What? He said, But I'll be sober in the morning. That's what he said. It's true. It's true. My point is, a stranger can say something, at least to me, and it's like water off a duck's back. Like, I don't know you. I really don't care what you think. You know, you have no influence in my life. You know, 
It's not very kind. Keep your thoughts to yourself. I won't respond in like manner. I'll just say, I'm sorry for you, you know, and walk away. It's when someone we know says something hurtful to us, like a parent or a spouse or a child or a neighbor or a fellow church member or even a minister. Those things hurt. And if we allow that thing to stay there, that door swings wide open. And the enemy comes in like a flood with everything that he can. I'm just telling you. The second one is an attitude of rebellion towards God. Now, I know you're probably going to think, I'd never be in rebellion towards God. But if we're in rebellion towards God or established authority or whatever, you know, there's, there's, um, there's a lot happening this year, and the church has fallen asleep again on it. And um, our culture, we are at a place where the church needs to speak out. Our, our nation is hanging in the balance. And we have people who say, don't say anything because then you'll offend those who are not Christians. Can I tell you something? They're already offended just by you be saying you're a Christian. It's the manner in which we say it and how we say it that makes the difference. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. And so we can be in rebellion against God because you're in rebellion in your spiritual walk is in regards to earthly authority or a rebellion against for example, uh, governmental authority or rebellion against your boss or, you know, whatever. Um, we, we have to be careful about that in this, because in essence, if we're in rebellion in any way, and, and rebellion is not necessarily um, speaking out against evil. That's not, that's not rebellion because there has to be a righteous voice that speaks in times of darkness. Otherwise, John the Baptist was in rebellion when you stop and think about it. Um, But if God establishes um, authority and that authority is divine, the Bible says that governmental authority was established by God for righteousness sake, not for evil's sake. And that's where so many Christians go wrong on the government issue. They say, well, the Bible says we're supposed to obey all government and all laws. The Bible does not say that. Um, The Bible says that government was established for the sake of righteousness and keeping of the peace. Unrighteous government 
needs to have a voice of righteousness speak against it and call it out. But I'm just saying that if our heart is in rebellion, we can be in rebellion about everything. You know, I've met people who are against everything. I heard an interview years and years ago of a man up in Maine who's like 108 years old, and he, sat, he would sit on his porch every day with a, a pocket knife, and he'd just whittle shavings of wood. And a guy heard, heard about him, and so a, a reporter went up to talk to him. And this was back uh, like the late 1900s, almost the year 2000. said, you're 108 years old, so you're from the 1800s. He said, y you've been around, you've seen the, the development of cars and engines and electricity and trains and ships and, you know, motorized this and planes and rockets. And he just made a list of all the things that had been invented during that hundred years of his life. He says, what was that like? He said, lots of stuff happened. He said, well, what do you think about it? He said, I was against all of it. <laughs> he didn't like any of it. And I just know some people, they're, they're just like that. They're against everything, you know. They're not for anything. That means they're, they're in rebellion, and they're full of themselves. So my, my, my point in this is we can open doors if we're not careful. And if we open those doors, we have to close those doors. So having understood which door is open, the remedy begins by closing the door. So if we have the door of resentment and unforgiveness open in our lives, there's only one way to close it. And that is you have to forgive the person that you resent and you must lay down your bitterness and your hatred, period. You, you can't go off and do, I'm going to do a five-day fast. Go ahead. But you're still carrying that mess with you. It isn't going to go away. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 12, Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So we have no right to ask God to forgive us beyond the degree to which we forgive others. And if we're not willing to forgive, we say, Oh, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't realize what you did to Jesus. Your sin put him on the cross. And, and, and God will forgive us to the extent that we forgive others. In fact, the Bible says if you don't forgive, God cannot forgive you. And that's a dangerous place to be. And then in Matthew 6 and 14 and 15, it says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So if we want forgiveness from God, we must forgive others. And the only way to close that door of resentment and bitterness and everything else is that we have to, we have to, choose to do that because forgiveness is not an emotion it's a decision it's a it's a decision that we make it's a choice in a sense it's like tearing up an iou of what somebody else owes you 
The way to close the first door is to forgive people and let go of the resentment and the bitterness, okay? The second door, closing the door of rebellion comes one way, and that means submit to God. Submit to God. Rebellion, especially rebellion against God, the way to close that door is forgiveness and then submission. Submit to God. And again, that's a decision of our will. We have to choose that. Well, James 4 and 7, look at it. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And, and, and what does the scripture say? Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Okay? So there, there, there's three parts to that. We, we just want to resist the devil. I resist you, devil. I rebuke you, devil. I rebuke you, devil. I rebuke you, devil. But you're in rebellion against God. God has shown you something that he wants to deal with in your life and you won't let him do it. You're in rebellion against God. God has said there's a relationship that you need to try and restore and you won't do it. You're in rebellion against God. And so the problem is that rebellion against God is never going to be fixed because you cannot resist the devil as long as you're resisting God. <laughs> it's just... I mean, stop and think about it. It's like, I rebuke you, Satan. And what you're really doing over here is, and I rebuke you, God. And you're leaving yourself dead center. You're a target. And, and because God is the only one who can give you the faith and strength and grace you need to resist the enemy. So, so submission to God is a decision of our will. So we need to pray simply like, God, I submit to you. You're my creator. You are the command of the universe. And I submit to your dealings in my life. I'll do whatever you require of me. You put him first. You make him Lord of your life. And at that point, when you submit to God, you're no longer in rebellion. Then when the voice comes, and we already said it comes, all the time. Then you have the right to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and drive the devil out of your life, just as Jesus did when the devil came to him in the wilderness in the temptation. Jesus answered him each time with what? It is written, it is written, it is written. You can't say it is written, it is written, it is written when you're in rebellion against what God's trying to do in your life. Jesus was submitted to God, so therefore he was able to resist the enemy. If we submit to God the same way that Jesus did, then you'll have the right to resist the devil. And then when the voices come, you'll be able to say, I will not listen to you anymore. Satan, get out of my life. I'm yielded to God. I belong to God. You have no power over me. All your claims against me were settled by the death of Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. I now resist you and command you to go from me. And you can say it with authority and confidence. Why? Because you're not in rebellion. There's no doors that have been opened. And you have the mental peace that you're right with God. See, the ultimate result of, from mental torment 
is true peace of mind. True peace of mind. And following our release from mental torment, we need to learn to enjoy true peace of mind. There is a false peace that makes you think that your mind is at rest, but you're fooling yourself if you try and get, get it done any other way than what God's prescription is. And so the, the first and foremost important way of having true peace of mind is knowing that we have peace with God because there cannot be permanent peace of mind if we are not right with the Almighty God. Isaiah 48 and 22 said there is no peace for the wicked. There's no peace for those who stand in opposition to God, who are not subject to God's requirements. Therefore, we have to make sure we have been reconciled with God. Romans 5 and 1, Paul said, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is so powerful, these verses right here. The apostle Paul says, Because we've been justified by faith, not by works, but by faith, we have, not going to have, but we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 11, he says, and we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word reconciliation means settlement, resolution, or reunion. In other words, it's settled. It's like a court case. It's been settled. The terms have been settled. It's been done. We've, it's been reconciled. You've, it's been resolved. There's a reunion. Okay? That's what I think of when I think of reconciliation. I think of one party here and one party here, and they've been at odds, and now they've been reconciled. So they've come together. There's been a reunion. And he states that every person of their own accord must make things right with God. I can't do it for you, you can't do it for me, but by our worldly natures, our sinful natures, natural natures that we're born with, we're, we are automatically at war with Almighty God when we're born. And we need to accept the reconciliation that God extends to us through Jesus Christ. And our Savior paid the full and final penalty for our sins so that we could be reconciled with God. And when we're reconciled with God, Paul goes on to say that we have been justified by faith. And, and the word justified is an important word. And I've put it up there what it means. It means to be acquitted. How many of you know what that means? In other words, you've been, you've been accused before a judge, before a jury, whatever. And, and, and the, 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 the accusation has been canceled. You've been acquitted of the charges against you. You're no longer held guilty, and, and you've been made righteous in, as far as this goes. So when we believe in Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, his righteousness is ascribed to us on the basis of our faith. So what does the enemy do? He attacks our faith. He attacks our faith by the voices he wants to diminish our faith. He wants to wear that down. 
And so we can faithfully say through the death of Christ, I'm justified. I have peace with God and God holds nothing more against me. I have been acquitted. When you realize that the God of the universe who has the say over everything has nothing negative to say towards you, but he speaks, he says, that's my child. That's Talk about peace. Talk about peace. So being justified with God is the truth for the basis for mental peace. It starts there. And once we know it, once we know it, we have God on our side. It makes all the difference in the world. And I want to stop there. I know what time it is, but anyway, I plan to stop here anyway. I went a little bit longer than I wanted to, but anyway. I want to pray for if there's anyone here tonight that you are presently or battling consistently with the voices that accuse you and torment you that are stealing or robbing your peace. I feel like the church is to pray for you tonight. Is there anyone here? I'm not, I, I don't want to know what the problem is or issues. We just want to pray for you. Okay. If, if, if that's you, would you just would come, why don't you come and stand up here and, so that we can come around you and pray for you if that's all right. That's good. Just come stand up here. I want some of you to come that you know what I'm talking about and you know God is faithful. We're going to help close these doors tonight. It's for your brother? Yeah. He's missing. He's missing? going to be on vacation for three weeks well everybody's been trying to call him not knowing what happened and we finally reached out to her and she told us that you know he's supposedly on vacation but we don't know where we can't get in touch with him he's not getting our messages and the problem is for us personally the right. voices which right. are happening is we have a missing nephew so right. we've already been down this road. So it's just praying for him because I know he's depressed. Okay. All right. Well, we, we're going to take a moment and pray. And um, why don't some of you come and just lay hands on Nancy right now. She's standing in proxy for this family member. And we're just going to pray right now. They've been down this road before, so the voices are real. The voices are loud, but God, your, your voice is louder. And, we, and you said, wherever two or three agree concerning any one thing, it shall be done. 
So, Father, we come against that voice right now. We come against those words that are trying to plant doubt and plant fear and plant uncertainty in the minds of family members and loved ones. Devil, you're, you've been exposed tonight. The word of God has exposed you and how you work. And we come against you right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we speak out for this individual who has disappeared. And Father, who is depressed, we come against that spirit of depression and that spirit of suicide and that spirit of isolation in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for angelic intervention into his life right now. Father, that you would bring him back for the purpose, Lord God, of him having the opportunity to surrender to you at the foot of the cross and be reconciled with Almighty God and be made whole. For you sent the Spirit of the Lord to set the captives free. Father, it's time, it's time, it's time to see them completely set free in the name of Jesus. Lay hands surround Heidi right now. Pray for her right now. Father, we come against this. We come against the voices. We come against the tormenting, the tormentor in Jesus' name. We plead the blood of Christ round about her, all around her, and around her mind and over her mind and her thoughts. We come against those voices that would say, Where is God? Where is the God that who is supposed to be faithful? Where is he? Why has he left you alone? Where is he? We come against the voice that would remind her of promises supposedly unfulfilled. But God in due season, you are not slack concerning your promises. Father, there is a purpose in everything that you do. Even Brother Bob Holloway said this past Sunday, there is a purpose in the waiting. But we come against the voices that would try to torment her in the nighttime, that torment her with physical pain, that torment her with emotional pain. We come against it in Jesus' name. And we speak peace, and we speak life, and we speak health, and we speak healing right now in Jesus' name. We speak liberty, the joy of the Lord. Be her strength, the joy of the Lord. The joy, the ability to laugh at the face and the, at the onslaught of the enemy to laugh against the voices, knowing that our God rules and our God reigns. We thank you, Lord. By faith, we are justified. By faith, we are set apart. By faith, we are reconciled. Therefore, O oh God, we have an audience with the King, and you hear our cry. You hear our words. You hear our prayers, and you answer.
And Father, we just pray right now for anyone who may be listening by way of the internet and the enemies lied to them and the voices have whispered in their heart, this is it, you're running out of time, God's given up on you, whatever the lie is, we come against it in Jesus' name. And we take the word. It says, we are a child of the king. We are born again of the spirit of God. The spirit of the Lord lives inside of us. He has not forsaken us. He has promised he will never leave us. Never walk out on us. Never desert on us. But always be there. Father, I'm so thankful for the word that you spoke into my heart so many years ago. It says that even though I may not see your hand at work, I can always trust your heart. And your heart is for your children, your people that your purpose be brought forth and glory be given unto your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. 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 Hallelujah. So remember, when the enemy comes, you cancel out his voice with your voice. The word of faith is nigh unto you even in your mouth, the scripture says. Let that word be heard loud and clear. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Thank you, Father, that you care about us. So, Father, we just pray now. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. And it says that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And we thank you for that promise, Lord. That what you've started, you will bring to completion. For you are the author and perfecter of our faith. Now bless each one as they leave here. Let them go home with peace that passes all understanding. Give rest to weary mind, soul, and body. And give them favor with those they come in contact with, for the glory of your name we pray. Amen and amen.